Uh, we are in a series, as I'm sure you know if you've been here, it's called Death and All His Friends, and we are basically, we're talking about sin, and uh, that's not a bad thing, that's actually a good thing to talk about that in church, amen? Uh, last week, we talked about pride, and uh, if you weren't here, it's a, it'd be, it's a shame if you didn't get to hear it, I'd encourage you to go back and hear it, because all of us that heard it have perfectly dealt with our pride, and we're all incredibly humble, so uh, you want to go back and watch that. No, that's not true. In fact, that's the antithesis of what uh, humility really is. So, um, but uh, it's been great, and uh, I, I think talking about sin in the church is so important for us because it is not a thing to condemn us. It's a thing to bring us up and to, to help us be more like Jesus in our life. So uh, today we're going to talk about greed, and uh, my text is out of Romans 6. In fact, if you would stand with me, please, as we just stand in honor of reading God's word at the beginning of the message, Romans 6. Verses 11 to 14, this is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. It says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So we're choosing righteousness over wickedness. It's a good trade, right? For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. The title of my message today is The Culture of Greed. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today for this wonderful time we have together. God, we are blessed to be in this place. Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice today that you would open our hearts so that your word can produce fruit in our lives. We're thankful today because we know your word tells us that your word does not return void, but it will accomplish what it is set out to do. We, we anticipate that today, God. And I pray that my words would be your words, and that you would glorify your name through this time we have together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now listen, I told the first service this too, but I don't want you to feel afraid to talk back to me a little bit. You know, if you hear something out of the word that sounds good, you can say amen, okay? Now don't yell at me, but you can talk back to me, all right? Uh, so let's try it out. God is good. Amen. Yeah, all right. You guys do that, I might preach for three hours. So. Uh, <laughs> nobody's gonna talk now, right? Uh, maybe I should say the opposite. If you don't talk back, I'm gonna preach for three hours. Huh? No, I'm just kidding. All right, so the idea behind this series is not about trying to make us feel as bad as possible about our sin, okay? It's not what this is about at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's meant to give us hope. Because here's the deal, church. I'm, I'm gonna come out swinging today, okay? The idea is that we would understand who we are in light of who he is because we can't really appreciate and love God until we realize how little we deserve it. I can tell you in my own life, as I've grown in my faith, I've also seen more and more of my own heart, and it has made me love God even more because I realize more every day I don't really deserve his love. I don't really deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his faithfulness. I don't deserve his forgiveness. And so we talk about sin. We have to understand our sin because when we do that, we see ourselves in the light of who God is, and yet he still loves us. He still came and died for us. In fact, the Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He didn't wait till we were good enough. 
Because the fact is, if he did that, he would have never come. It's like waiting until you can afford kids to have children. You'll never have them, right? It says, while we were still sinners, he came and died for us. And, you know, I know we come to church. We want some encouragement, right? I know some of us are probably just barely hanging on. We're just trying to get through the week, just trying to get through. And there's all kinds of stress and anxiety and frustration in life. And so when you come into church, you don't want to be told how horrible of a person you are. That's not what we're doing. You don't need to be told how terrible a person you are. I don't need to be told how terrible a person I am compared to God, right? We all have that inner critic. We all know that we don't measure up. We all know that we miss the mark, which is exactly what the definition of sin is. It's missing the mark. It's actually missing God's mark for our life. So we don't need to be told. We need to, be, we need to have hope. We need to have encouragement. But to be able to really have the encouragement and the hope that, that comes from God and it can actually give us victory in life, we have to understand what we're up against. And I would even suggest to you today that a lot of the frustration we deal with in life is not just because of sin, but it's because of our unwillingness to confront that sin in our life. It's that idea of turning our back on it, and if I don't talk about it, maybe it's not really there. And that's exactly what the enemy of your soul would want, but our God wants us to confront it. He wants, us, he wants to expose it. He wants to shine the light on it in our life so that we can walk in victory and freedom and really have the hope that lasts and doesn't just make us feel good for a few minutes, but it's a hope that we can live our life with until that day when Jesus would come back to get us. And we must recognize those areas that are holding us back because it's important that we offer ourselves to God. As my text verse said, we offer ourselves to righteousness so that sin doesn't reign in our body, so that we're not mastered by sin in our life, but we're actually instruments of righteousness, of his righteousness in our life. It's actually a really, really beautiful thing. You know, we just sang the song just a minute ago, and uh, some of the lyrics, man, they just stuck out to me. In fact, I was preparing this sermon before I even knew what songs we were singing this week, and I was looking the other day, and I said, man, that's, that's exactly what we need to hear. It was that last song, and it says, the lyrics say, who is like the Lord, strong in battle? Who is like the Lord, mighty to save? Who is like the Lord, king forever? Jesus reigns, Jesus reigns. Amen. Amen. Then it goes on to say, you reign in all the earth, you reign in all the heavens, you are holy. You're seated on the throne, nothing can stand against you, you're holy. Wow, powerful, powerful lyrics, right? Declaring who he is. And these lyrics, they're actually, they're two parts. They're a fact, but they're also a declaration. It's a fact that Jesus reigns. It's a fact that he does reign in all the earth and in all the heavens and that he's seated on the throne. Nothing can stand against him. That's a fact. And it's a done deal. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians 1.21, it says that he is seated far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So it's a done deal that he reigns. But, and there's a big but in this, whether or not he reigns in your heart is the only thing that's up for grabs. Because see, he reigns, but does he reign in you? The only way he reigns in you is if you make the choice to let him reign in you. Now, that being said, there's gonna come a day, the Bible says that every knee is gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess that he is Lord. So that day's coming for all of us where we're gonna proclaim that he reigns, but it's a lot better for us if we make that decision on this side 
of eternity. Because when we do it on this side, we're going to want to bend, bend the knee and declare that he reigns because we're going to know it's true because we've seen it in our own life. And so it's up to us if we're going to choose whether or not he is going to reign and if we are going to be instruments of righteousness in this life. But it has to be because we are allowing him to reign. It's not about, and I've said this every week of this series because I want it to be very, very clear. This is not about us trying to be really good and sin less. This is about letting him reign in our life. We can't stop sinning on our own. We can't be good Christians because there's really, in, in reality, there's really no such thing because none of us will ever be good enough. But it's about offering ourselves, as my text verse said, offer your bodies to him. That's, that's actually liberating for us. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to be perfect. I just offer myself to him. And a beautiful thing happens when I do that. His spirit takes over. His spirit fills me up. And I have this ability that I don't have on my own, but it's not me doing it. It's him doing it through me. Powerful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. The declaration is that no one is like the Lord. But does he reign in your heart? And when we're talking about sin, a series on sin, there's an easy litmus test. And it's just, it's real simple and easy. When, I, when you came in here and you knew we were talking about sin, where did your mind go? Where does your heart go when you hear that and you know it's too late, you're already in here and you can't leave? <laughs> Are you sitting here thinking, all right, I'm just gonna sit here and mind my business? I'm sure not making eye contact with the preacher. And I'm gonna stand at the end when he tells me to stand and then I'm hightailing it and trying to get out of here unscathed. Is that where you're at? Or is it, God, I'm anticipating you working in my life and working in my heart. I'm opening myself up to let you expose and shine the light on the deepest, deepest areas of my heart where I have said you can't come in there because I really want you to reign in my life. I really wanna see your power, your majesty, your glory displayed in me and through me. That's how you know if you're letting him reign in your life. It's not the people that, that where God's reigning in their life it aren't the ones necessarily that are the most upstanding and look the most Christian. It's about an open heart. It's about a willing heart. The Pharisees looked more Christian, looked more religious than anybody else, and they were the furthest from God. So it's not about how we look. It's about what our heart is. And God would say, I want you to open your heart and let him do his work in us. Because see, a large part of the feelings we have of failure and anxiety and stress and worry that we come into church with on a Sunday and the desperation for relief from those things, it springs from places where God does not reign in our heart. That's where it comes from, for the most part. Whether it's the things you're dealing with, whether it's uh, lust. You know, lust is something that we deal with when we don't let God set the standard for us and what we're gonna look at. Whether it's greed, which we're gonna be talking about here in a minute. Greed is something we're dealing with. It's because we haven't allowed God to reign in our heart to, allow, to make us content by his standards, not our own. Pride, if we're dealing with pride, it's because we've not allowed God to show us our value and our worth. We've tried to determine it on our own. And it doesn't have to be one of the, you know, the deadly sins that we talk about. It could just be even our health. If you're struggling with your health, maybe it's because you haven't allowed God to reign in your life and even help you when it comes to how you're gonna take care of your body. Now, not everybody that's struggling with their health is because they're not taking care of themselves, but you know if that's you. We know if we allow God, because you know one of the seven deadly sins is also gluttony. You know, not taking care of ourselves. We can overindulge even and, and affect our body negatively. That's just, that's just as much an area of pride in our life as anything else is. 
And letting God reign is so, so important. Because dealing with sin is about dealing with the disease of self. That's what it is. Sin is basically dealing with the disease of self. You know, the Bible talks about us as, as humans. It, it refers to us as ourselves, um, our nature, our sin nature, the flesh. And all of those things are diseased. In fact, when you look at it in relation to sin, the, body, the, the Bible says that we are dead in our sin. But we are definitely diseased in this flesh, in the spiritual aspect of our life. And for those of you that maybe you're not a Christian today, or maybe you're newer in the faith, something like that, hearing that can sound kind of weird to you, or maybe even offensive. And I'm not here to try to offend anybody, and it's, it's not about offending you for the sake of just offending, but I will say the gospel is offensive. The gospel is something that goes against everything we are in our flesh. It's saying, no, you're, you're not good enough on your own. No, you, what you want isn't the most important thing in life. It's about him and his glory and his purpose and his will, not ours. And it's so easy for us to get away from that and feel like, you know what, I'm a good person. You know, you might be sitting here today thinking, you know, you're talking about sin. I'm like, nah, it's not that big a deal. I'm a pretty good person. If you think you're a good person, then I would challenge you on what you're comparing yourself to. Because if you're comparing yourself to other people, yeah, you might be a good person. I feel like I'm a pretty good person if I compare myself to people. But we're not called to compare ourselves. That's not the standard in life. When you stand before Jesus, you can't say, well, Jesus, I was better than those guys, my neighbors. You know? I mean, you think, you think I'm bad? You should have seen my brother, right? Jesus would say, I, I don't care about that. That's not what I've called you to. He's called us to have a standard. You know, if, I, if I'm, when I think about my, my van that I drive every day, that thing is lightning fast if I compare it to a bicycle. I compare it to an F-16 and it's nothing, right? It's all about what you compare it to. And God says, be holy as I am holy. That's the standard. It's holiness like God. So I would like to meet the person that meets that standard because there's no such thing. In fact, in, in Romans 8, 8, Paul said very clearly, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, Period. Our flesh can never, ever please God. And the only way to beat this sickness of self is to let Jesus reign in our heart by his Holy Spirit. And the sooner we come to grips with that, and the more often we come to grips with that, the sooner, the, and, and the sooner we can realize and embrace the idea that we not only need a Savior, we need a Lord for this life too, then we have a greater chance of walking in the victory that Jesus paid the price for us to have in our life. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. So, I promise you I'm gonna talk about greed. And so that's where we're gonna go, because you know, one of the biggest friends of sin that can reign in our body is greed. You know, we talked last week about pride. I, I, I believe the Bible's pretty clear when you look at the Bible and you, you look at the definition of pride that almost every sin comes from pride in our life. But let me tell you, if pride's the top of the heap, greed is his lieutenant. I mean, it's right there. Greed is something that we all have to deal with it with in our life, and it's something that we all can very easily allow to have place in our life if we're not aggressive against it. The definition of greed is an insatiable desire to have, dot, dot, dot. Whatever that is, whatever comes after have, whatever you fill the blank in with, that's what greed is, an insatiable desire to have. Now, unless that's Jesus, it's considered greed in our life. 
I mean, basically, at the end of the day, it's, it could be power, it could be position, it could be possessions. Most of us would equate greed to things we want, something tangible that we can put our hands on, right? Money, materials, cars, houses, products that we so desperately want in our life. And at the end of the day, church, it's nothing but idol worship. Greed is idol worship. Now, we're not, for greedy, we're not, you don't have to be bowing down to a statue or worshiping a golden calf or chanting or, or praying to some dead person to be idol worshiping. Idol worship is just anything we would put above God. Anything in our life that we put above God. And it's not even just something that we put above God, but it's something that God is not allowed to touch in our life. It's probably a better way of saying it for us in 2021. So I would ask you the question today, what is it in your life that God is not allowed to touch? Is it a possession? Is it a status? Is it a, is it a career? Is it your kids? Is it the idea of having kids that he, he can't touch that? Is it a relationship? What in your life is God not allowed to touch it? Whatever that is, that's where greed is living in your life. That's where it is thriving in your life. That's where it's growing. That's where it's, may, it's, it's allowed to have residence and do its thing. And as I'm gonna show you, it's a very dangerous thing in our life because it has the power to run our lives and cause us to measure our success in life by what we have. And if you know the word, you know that God doesn't measure success in life by what we have. God says, man looks at the outward appearance. God says, I look at the heart. And God help me, that's what I want so desperately for me to have God measure my success, that I wouldn't base it on what I have or what I wear or how much money I have in the bank. Those are all good things. But that my success would be based on my heart. That if God was looking for a king, that he'd be able to see that, yeah, you can, you can anoint Reagan, he's the man after my own heart. And I would pray that that would be all of our desires. So, what is the expectation? What's God's expectation for us when it comes to greed? Well, I would say that it's, his expectation would be the opposite of greed because greed is the opposite of who he is. So God's expectation for us is that we would be content. And I wanna talk to you a little bit about contentment today because contentment is the opposite of greed. It's something we all want, but it's something a few of us have. It is very difficult to be content today, isn't it? If we're really, really honest with ourselves, contentment is incredibly difficult, which tells us how powerful greed is. It tells us how powerful it is. I, I, it's, it's very rare to meet someone and spend time with someone where you really know a lot about them, where you would say that person is completely content. Like they're not, they're not striving to climb the ladder. They're, they're content with where they're at. They're thankful to God for what he's given them. It's a very rare thing to experience that in life and to see that in people. One key for us to be able to be content is to be honest about where we're at. We've gotta be honest about where we are in our walk and not to deny the challenge that faces us every day when it comes to greed. Because see, we live in such a prosperous nation that it makes it even more challenging, doesn't it? We have so many things at our disposal. It's so easy to get things. And it's so easy to want the next thing and to not really be content with where we are. You know, I, I've had the privilege and the pleasure of traveling a lot over the last 30 years, 27 years, being in missions work and doing a lot of other things around the world and being in a lot of developing nations. And one thing I noticed 
every time I've been to a developing country, a very poor country, every time, without question, as soon as you get to know somebody that's part of that culture and part of that uh, and lives in that community, every time I've noticed they are infinitely more content than any American I know, including myself. And it is so incredibly humbling. And you can easily look at that and think, well, it's because they just don't know better. Not necessarily. But at the end of the day, yes, they, they know they won't be able to ever acquire some of the things we can acquire in the United States or in, in, a, in a Western country. But they, it's like they've found the secret of being content with having little. In fact, Paul even tells us that it's a challenge. It was a challenge for Paul. In Philippians 4, verse 12, look what it says. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So there's two things I, I would say from this verse that just jump out. First of all, he says that plenty is not where contentment comes. He says, I've had plenty and I've had one. I still had to learn the secret of contentment. So it's not about having more. It's not about having more stuff and continually adding to our repertoire, continually adding to our possessions in our life. And then he says, I have learned the secret of being content. Does that resonate with anyone? That contentment is actually a secret that we have to find? You know, one thing you know about a secret is not everybody knows it. So that tells me right off the bat that there are gonna be a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus that are never gonna find this secret. Because to find this secret, it's not a matter of just walking through life and hoping it slaps you upside the head. Secrets are something you have to go find. You have to investigate. You have to go get it. If you really wanna learn what contentment is like, we have to find the secret. And we know that it is not about having more and more stuff. In fact, I've read a proverb this week that says, a poor person isn't someone who has little, but it's someone who needs a lot. That, that hits me between the eyes. Because I don't want to be that person that needs a lot because that's where greed can just come in and have its way and it becomes a monster. Greed is insatiable in our life if we don't deal with it. Paul also said in his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if we were just content with food and clothing? I'm telling you, one of the greatest challenges of living in such a prosperous nation is being content. It's a huge challenge. And in church, you can, you can spin it or try to word it in a way that makes you sound not, not like it's really a big deal for you, but at the end of the day, if you're not content with where you are, it's greed for the most part. There's, there's specific examples, obviously. If you're not content in your health and you have, you know, you have cancer, it's not necessarily because you're greedy that, that you're not content. But in overwhelming majority of the situations in our life where we're not content, it's because of greed. And, it's be, and we have, the deck is stacked against us living where we live and being a part of this prosperous place. And it's a huge blessing, but this is one of the challenges that we have to confront in our life. I mean, you, I, I experienced it in my own life. You know, I, I had an iPod, then the iPhone came out, I got an iPhone. And now I got an iPhone and an iPad. And I got a MacBook. But man, that Apple Watch really looks cool. I need one of those. 
right? I mean, there's just always something. You know, Apple's going to come out with, you know, eye earrings, and people are going to flock to buy them, you know? It has the apple with the bite taken out of it, so it's got to be great, right? There's just always more that we want, right? Always stuff out there that's trying to get our attention and trying to convince us that we need it. And you know, even Jesus gave us a warning. In Luke 12, 15, look what he says. This is a warning from Jesus. He says, then he said to them, watch out. Jesus doesn't yell because he's mad. He yells because he wants us to pay attention because this is really important. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That should be tattooed somewhere. That's a reminder we need every day. Every time I read that verse, I, I just go, yes, yes. And then 10 minutes later, I'm shopping on Amazon. <laughs> it's just so easy, isn't it? So easy. And you know, when it comes to like things Jesus has said, this is, this is I like it when I hear it because I wanna be like him and I know it makes sense, but then living it out is just a challenge in our life. It really is. And if it, it is true, but why am I constantly having to deal with it? Why are we constantly struggling with greed in our life? You know, why is it that you're perfectly content with your Honda until your friend has a Mercedes? And then all of a sudden your Honda's not so great, right? It's just something that's always, always, always attacking us and always hitting us. And you know what? You might be one of the few sitting in here saying, you know what? It's just not really a big deal for me. You know, I'm happy with a, a very modest house, a 15-year-old car, and if my bills are paid, I'm good. And praise God, God bless you. That's a wonderful thing. But it still doesn't mean you don't deal with greed in some area of your life. We need to be asking God to show us. Because Paul said in here, he said it's great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know why it's great gain? Because it's so hard to get. It's so hard to be content in this life. Contentment is one of the most elusive qualities of life. And not many people have it. You might say, oh, I have it. I'm content. It's interesting we say that, but you know what? Our massive personal debt would suggest we're not content. We would say we're content, but the, the, re, the fact that when everybody asks me how I'm doing, I always say how busy I am would suggest that I'm not content. All my, when, when, I, when I know I struggle with anxiety and fear and worry, that would suggest I'm not content, Right? That's why Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain because not everybody's gonna get there. Not everybody's gonna get there. You're gonna have to want it more than you want what you want. So he goes on then in the next two verses of 1 Timothy 6. He says, people who wanna get rich, and I would suggest not just wanna get rich but are greedy, fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money or greed is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Don't miss this warning, church. This should be a flashing red light for all of us. Greed brings grief in our life. It, bring, it brings grief, it breeds grief in our life. Paul is saying here, many have even walked away from the faith. You might say, ah, I would never do that. 
greed is a, it, it is, you, wherever it is in, your, is in your life right now and you think that the idea of walking away from my faith is impossible, all you gotta do is feed that greed and it just grows and grows and grows and it can absolutely grow to where it could cause you to even walk away from the faith because you have put that in the place of God in your life. So this is a warning from the Apostle Paul. So what's the cure for greed? I would say, I have three things I wanna give you quickly that I think will help us, that we can guard against greed in our life. And the first one is to contend for your faith. Contend for your faith. I feel like I say it all the time, almost weekly, but it's just such a strong conviction of mine that I feel God has given me this platform to be able to, to share his word and to be able to speak to all of you that come in here on Sundays, and I feel so strongly that part of the call of ministry that God has put on my life is to help encourage people in their faith and to remind us and to help us along to realize that this life of faith is not easy. It's not meant to be easy, church. Like we take what Jesus did for us and we sometimes we just kind of think that that should go into every area of our life and our life should be easy because Jesus paid it all. So if all, if all my debt's paid, everything should just be simple. And that's not really how it is. Because even though our debt's paid and he lives in us and he empowers us and his glory can be revealed in us, we still live in a fallen world. Now, when we get to heaven, that's when the party starts. And you don't need anybody preaching on a stage then because we'll be with Jesus himself. So he's probably a better preacher than any of us, right? But until then, the life of faith is work. We have to contend for our faith. You see it over and over again in the New Testament, not just the old. In fact, Jude, the third verse of Jude, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. There are all kinds of forces contending against your faith. So you have to be willing to contend for it in your life. Faith is like a muscle that gets stronger as we give to it. As we pursue it, as we grow, it gets stronger in our life. But we have to be willing to contend. In fact, Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 6, the same chapter, he says to fight the good fight of faith. He says in, in uh, Philippians 2, he says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Like it is, it is work to live this life of faith. We have to get after it. We have to contend for it. We can't just, you know, see the, that we got some greed in our life and think, man, I hope, you know, I think I'll grow out of it. It'll just get better. It doesn't. We have to contend for our faith. Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Contending as one for the faith of the gospel. We're, this, is a, this is a challenge and encouragement to work together, to be in community with each other, to be part of it together as we contend for the gospel. We're not even meant to do this alone, which is beautiful, because when we're together, when we're unified as a body, we can encourage each other in our faith, our faith grows together, we are unstoppable for the kingdom of God. Contend for the faith. Secondly, it's faithful, uh, thankfulness. Being thankful in life is a cure towards, against greed. 
Now you might say, oh man, you just sound like my mom from when I was 10 years old telling me I had to thank everybody and be polite, and have manners, and we live in the South, and you gotta say thank you all the time, right? That's not what this is, even though that's a good thing. Politeness is very good. Uh, but this is about, there's a spiritual application when we are thankful to God for what he has given us. See, when we live thankfully, when we express our thanksgiving to God, when we consistently are thanking him, it's not just about we're doing it because it's the right thing to do and he says to do it, God's got his arms crossed saying, you better be thanking me. But it's, it's that when we do it, there's a principle to it that there is power behind it for our life. When we are thankful, when we make it a habit in our life to be thankful to God for what we have and what he has given us. That should be a habit in our life. Church, this is something we can do practically. This is something every one of us can do. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm more and more in my life, I, I feel like it's become a default reaction for me, which I'm so thankful for, but it's taken me years to get there, where when I have a situation where I'm stressed out or I'm, I'm bugged by something or I'm just really gonna come to God and I'm gonna ask him to help me in this, whatever this is, my immediate default reaction is to initially start by giving him thanks. And man, it's amazing. You know, if you just lunge right into, okay, God, I need you to do this, 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 you just start getting this entitlement. You, you're not really setting yourself up in the situation. But when you start with thanksgiving, in fact, it's hilarious because a lot of times when I start with just being thankful to God for what he's done, all of a sudden that big problem I was about to pray about doesn't seem so big because he kind of helps me to see that, oh, okay, maybe it's not, not quite as much as I thought it was. Not always. Sometimes it's a real thing. But we should still be starting with thankfulness in every situation in our life because thankfulness breeds contentment. Thankfulness breeds contentment. It's not just about being polite. It literally brings contentment into our life. And here's why. We covet, we covet, which is the, it's just synonymous with greed. We covet when we're not thankful for the things we have. I mean, it is so true. When we are not thankful, that's when we start to covet. If I am thankful for my 10-year-old van, I'm not gonna covet your brand new one. If I'm genuinely thankful for it, if I'm thanking God for it, if I get in my car every morning, I say, thank you, God, that I got a car that's gonna get me to work. Suddenly, it's, you don't covet. I mean, it doesn't mean you wouldn't want something, but covet greed, that's an that's a insatiable desire for something, as I shared the definition of it earlier. Suddenly, things start to be more palatable in our life. Because if we're not like that, what we do is we start to compare ourselves to others. We compare what we have with what other people have. And let me tell you, thankfulness is the cure to greed. Comparison is the guarantee of a miserable life. It is absolutely a guaranteed miserable life if you live comparing yourself to others. Because it, what it does is when we compare ourselves to others we think have less than us, it creates a superiority complex. And if we compare ourselves to those that have more than us, it creates an inferiority complex. And neither one of them are right. As we shared last week, pride is not, humility is about knowing who you are in Jesus and, and being true to who you are. So we're not supposed to think of ourselves as less than others or more than others. That God loves every single one of us. And the reason it's so hard to be thankful sometimes is because discontentment is much easier and it's more of a default response for us in our nature than thankfulness is. It's easier to be discontent. It's easier to look at what you don't have than it is to really be thankful for what you do have. So let's be thankful. 
Let's practice that. Man, make a note of it. Write it down. Put it somewhere where you'll see it. Put a sticky note on your mirror for in the morning for when you get up, you're brushing your teeth. You just remind yourself, yeah, I'm just going to be thankful today. Thank you, God, for what I have. You start thanking God genuinely from your heart, you start to be amazed at how much you have to be thankful for. It just start, you start seeing it everywhere. You start thanking him for a, a, a pillow to lay your head on. Air conditioning. Praise God for air conditioning. All right, third and finally, perspective. Perspective is so much of life. I know, I think somebody said life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Perspective is everything. And I, I was watching a sermon a, a few months back and I heard, him, I heard the guy say something. He was talking about perspective actually and he said, you know, I wonder what I would own if I didn't know what you owned. Man, you start thinking about that. How much of what we want is based on what we've seen other people have? I wonder what I would own if I didn't know what you own. It takes me back to my childhood, back in the 80s, and uh, I had an Atari video game system that hooked up to the TV, you know, and had the joystick with one button. Primitive now, but back then it was, mm. I thought I was on top of the world. I had Pac-Man and Space Invaders, and I was playing video games, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever invented in the history of the world until I went to my friend's house and he had a Nintendo. Then my Atari wasn't so great. Then my Atari was a joke. Like, this thing's dumb. It only has one button. The Nintendo has two. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. Nothing changed. My Atari was the exact same thing it was the day before. And that goes into our adulthood, too. You'd be amazed how much you're not content with when you realize what other people have. And that is not God's heart for us. That breeds greed in our life. You know, I, I officiated a funeral on Friday. And, uh, you know, funerals always do that. They have, a, they have the power to make us see our mortality, right? I mean, even young people that never think about dying, when you go to a funeral, all of a sudden you're confronted with it, you know? And then you, you start to think, man, one day I'm gonna be in the casket and they're gonna be talking about me, right? You're really faced with your mortality. And it always gets me thinking too, and you know, I think you know, everybody that I've known that, that had the, the privilege, I would call it, of knowing that they were about to die and knowing it was getting to the end, it's amazing. You could set your watch to it, every single one of them, all of a sudden, all the things that mattered in life don't matter anymore. People that are you know, days or weeks away from meeting God don't care about what kind of car they're driving. They don't care about how much money they have in the bank. They don't care about how many followers they have on Instagram. They don't care about so many of those things. And I'm not saying those things are, you know, obviously we have to have those things, but I'm talking about having perspective to help keep us from being greedy in life and having this insatiable need for more things. Because when you started to face with the reality of, I'm gonna go meet God pretty soon, a lot of those things just don't matter anymore. And I would pray that we would have that perspective, not that they don't matter at all, but they would, they would not take the highest place, that they would not be an idol in my life, that they would not be above God, that it would not be something where I would say, God, you can't touch this. I need this, you can't have this. Because those are exactly the areas where greed just grows like a mold. And it just continues to grow and it just keeps getting more moisture so that it can just grow and thrive in life. And it bleeds over into other areas of our life. It's just the way it is. 
It's, it's just the nature of it, it's the way it works. And what you do is you start to measure success the way the world does, by how much stuff I have, or how much power or influence I have, or how many friends I have. And as I said before, God looks at the heart. And that's what should matter to us. This, uh, this funeral I did a couple days ago, it was, uh, it was Phil Mathis' funeral. Some of you might know him, many of you probably don't. Uh, he's, been, he's been coming to the church for about a year, but uh, his son had got saved just in the last couple of years. He started coming to church, he was bringing his dad with him, and his dad uh, didn't ever go to church, never had a relationship with the Lord, and just started coming with his son to church, mostly just to spend time with him, because they'd go to lunch after church, and he didn't mind sitting through a service. And one Sunday afternoon, about six months ago, the son called me and said, hey, I just wanted to tell you, today we went to church, and on the way to lunch after church, he said, my dad started acting weird, like his breathing, I could tell his breathing was labor, and he started, tear, tears running down his face. He said, I thought he was having a heart attack. He said, I've never seen him cry in my life. Well, turns out the Lord was working on his heart. And he said, man, I, I know I have not lived right. And he said, I wanna make things right. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And he asked his son if he'd call me and see if I'd baptize him. And I said, you betcha. And uh, in fact, we were having baptism in a few weeks. So I said, well, we're having it at the church if you wanna do it then. He said, yeah, that'd be great. So some of you might remember this. It was about five, six months ago. We baptized four people that day. It was a seven-year-old, I think, and a 17-year-old, and two mid-60s men that we baptized that day. And we made a big deal out of it because it's just not, it's a rarity. It's more rare, I should say, to have people get saved in their mid-60s. And both of them just fell in love with Jesus and gave their hearts. One is Robin West's brother, Buddy, and the other one was, was Phil Mathis. And man, he was changed. Yeah, praise God. He was changed. In fact, uh, his son sent me a screenshot of the text messages, the last text he sent back and forth with him and his dad before they put him on a ventilator. And uh, it said in the, the message, he said, um, please tell your sister not to worry about me. I guess his sister was giving the nurses a hard time thinking that her dad was scared. She said, please tell your sister not to worry about me. He said, I am not scared to die. He said, because I know when I die, I will be walking with Jesus. And uh, yeah. And uh, sure enough, about a week later, he, uh, he passed and uh, we did the funeral Friday. And I'm telling you, church, like such a miracle. Such a miracle, a man gets saved and six months later, he's going to meet Jesus. Powerful, powerful stuff. And the Lord just completely had, had changed his heart. And I can tell you, his perspective in life was so good. He's the one, if you were here when we baptized him, when he came up out of the water, he threw his arms up in the air, he almost flew out of the baptismal. He was so excited to give his heart and his life to Jesus and to let everybody know about it. And his perspective was different. And you know, I, some of you might remember when you first got saved and fell in love with Jesus and how cool it was and how fun it was and maybe that's over the years, it's kind of waned a little bit and you, you kind of maybe you lost your first love, as the Bible talks about. And it'll allow those sins that so easily entangle us to come back in and really tangle us up. But I can tell you today, it's just, it's very, very plain in scripture that when we come back, when we confess our sins, when we don't try to hide them from God, but we confess them and allow him to shine his light on us, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us, to make us clean. He wants us to be, Paul talks about being continually filled with the spirit of God, that the spirit of God would give us the power to live this life as God has called us to live, amen? Would you stand with me, please? I wanna pray for us today.
I want to invite you, if you want to come to the altar, you are more than welcome to come to the altar today if you want to pray on your own. But I do want to pray for you at your seats if, if you're more comfortable to stay there. And I pray that you would just open your heart, let God shine his light. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Lord, I thank you today for your word. Lord, your word is life. Your word is truth. Lord, let your word do its work in our hearts today. God, I pray for each and every one of us. Lord, that we would allow you to deal with the greed we have in our life. Help us not to turn a blind eye or to try to not make eye contact with you, but to allow you to shine your light. Because Lord, we know that when you expose any sin in our life, it is to set us free. It is to give us victory. Lord, some of us in this room and listening online, some of us have not experienced or felt victorious in a long time. Lord, I pray today that today would be a new day, that they would experience victory in their lives. They would know what it looks like to walk around as a champion because of what you have done in our lives. That we would not be victims of the sin that can easily entangle. That we would not be victims of greed, victims of our society, of our culture, and the culture of greed that we experience every day. Now, we are not victims of that. I pray you'd help us to rise above it. That we would live content because of what you have done for us. Lord, I pray you would help us to contend for our faith, to fight the good fight of faith, to live lives of thankfulness, that we would be thankful every day, that we would never come to you in prayer without starting with thankfulness. And oh God, give us your perspective. Help us to see as you see. Open our eyes, God, to see that the hills are full of your angels as Elijah did. I pray, God, we would see that you are victorious in our life. Lord, help us to be content as your children and to reject the spirit of greed in the mighty name of Jesus. We reject it today in Jesus' name. It has no place. And where we've given it place, Lord, we take that place back in the name of Jesus. We reject it. We rebuke it in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we stand in your freedom. We stand in your power. And we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the thanks in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I just encourage you, church, just to just to speak out your prayer to him. Just worship him for a moment. Just thank him for who he is. God, we thank you, Jesus. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You're the first and the last. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. We give ourselves to you, Jesus. We're not perfect. We know you don't ask us to be perfect. But God, we wanna open our hearts to let you do what only you can do in each one of us. And where we come up short, God, we trust you to forgive us. We trust you to restore us. We trust you in your faithfulness, in your mercy, in your grace, in your loving kindness. We thank you that you're slow to anger and you're rich in love. Hallelujah. We receive that love today, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.